0: Hello, and welcome to Sound of the Moment. I'm your host, Pat Cleaver, and this is the bi-weekly show featuring conversations with musicians about jazz, music, and more. New episodes are released every second Monday, and you can get them for free at iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, wherever you like to get your podcasts. You can also stream the show directly from soundofthemoment.com, and if you go there, you will also find detailed show notes and links to my guest's website and all of that good stuff. If you would like to support the show, there's a couple of ways of doing that. First of all, you could tell a friend and help me spread the word. You could also go to the iTunes store and leave a favourable review or rating. That is also very helpful. And finally, there is also a Patreon campaign for this uh, show. And that can be found at patreon.com slash soundofthemoment or by following the link on my website. Uh, you can make a donation there on a monthly basis or one-off basis, and that helps me cover the costs of the show and hopefully keep going for the foreseeable future. You can find me at Pat Cleaver on Twitter, and you can also reach me via the Sound the page on Facebook. This is episode number 21 for the 30th of July 2018. My guest is the bassist Camille Janssen, his band Ikirai has a new project called Muhammad, which is based on the famous Rumble in the Jungle fight between Muhammad Ali and George Foreman. This new repertoire has not actually been recorded yet; it's not uh, been put onto a record. But I can give you a sneak preview from a live recording that they made. This is called Dance of the Butterfly.
1: When I got to Africa, I had one hell of a rumble. I had to beat Tarzan's behind first, proclaiming to be the king in the jungle.
0: Jensen is my guest today. Camille, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, man. Um, I always like to ask my guests to introduce themselves a bit up top, tell people about about who you are and what you do and stuff. Okay, well, thanks. Um,
1: Yeah, my name is Camille Janssen. I'm a bass player and a composer. I live in Amsterdam, just like I think most of your guests so far.
0: Yeah, Uh, there's been some more international ones, but that's true. Yeah, 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 focus is a bit on Amsterdam. And uh, yeah, it's it's really nice
1: uh, to uh, to to be a musician here. So what I do is I, I represent I'm the I'm the artistic leader of the, an ensemble called Ikarai, mm-hmm. and uh, and with this band we uh, we try to find a mixture between jazz music or improvised music and classical music. Yeah, meaning we have a violin, viola, cello, bass, piano, and drums slash percussion. Mm-hmm. Ah, I guess it's drums. So that's what I do. Uh, I Studied in my bachelor's in Rotterdam, did my master's in Amsterdam, went on an exchange to Copenhagen for a while, and uh, now I'm just an active, active
0: freelance working musician and composer. So, yeah. yeah, cool. Um, th- this is obviously a slight detour, but very basic question. I think you're the first bass player I have on the show. No way, uh, which is <laughs> obviously fun for me. Um, and it, uh, this is a terrible question, and I'm sure if somebody asked it to me, I would find it really like. Kind of boring, maybe, but like, what got you into the bass in the first place? It's such a like unusual instrument for people to like uh, find, I suppose. Yeah. Like, is there is there something specific about the bass that like spoke to you? Yeah, definitely.
1: Well, I mean, this yeah, this question, it's it's yeah. I also wonder what the, what the what the answer to that question is with you, but with me, it was definitely. My best friend and my other very good or best friend uh, back in my teenage years in high school, they were forming a band together. And of course, I didn't have some kind of asshole who wanted to play bass because, you know, what <laughs> teenager wants to play bass? But, you know, I turned out to be that asshole because I really wanted to be in that band. So I picked up the electric bass when I was like 14. Okay. 13 or 14. Played in that band for four years, had an amazing time, and then I actually became quite good at it. And then we kind of... Started to dive into jazz. And then kind of, uh, it kind of worked like a gateway drug and we came more and more uh, into jazz. And then I always wanted to become a professional musician from a young age, from like four years onwards. I wanted mm-hmm. to become a classical piano player. But wow, that, okay. Yeah, so I played classical piano for like four years, ten years. But then that dream kind of died and uh, and um, with bass it kind of came back to life. And then I decided to do an audition at the conservatory on bass, but given that jazz is almost exclusively upright bass, hmm. I switched to upright when I was 16, I think, or 17. Okay. And then did the audition on... But so what
0: was then not... Uh, surely there was already an electric bass department, no? Like that, that's True. a thing now. Yeah, thats um, that was a
1: thing then too, yeah. Um, Unfortunately, no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) okay.
0: Let's not, uh, yeah, not offend our electric bass friends. No, um, I'm kidding. Especially considering that I mean, I don't know about you, but I still play a lot of electric bass. Me too, actually. Um, love it. Yeah. So, what? Um, your project involves, uh, like collaborating with classical musicians, and you say you wanted to be a classical piano player. Um, what? Uh, what specifically is it about classical music? And is there any specific composers that um, that speak to you, uh, I suppose? Like what, yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah of course. No, yeah.
0: yeah, well, I've been listening to classical
1: music ever since I was a child. My, I come from a family of classical musicians also, so mm-hmm. the classical music was very often just heard around the house. Mm. So I kind of got that with me. And then I was always really drawn to the piano as a kid, so I was always busy playing, playing and also transcribing classical music, anything from, I mean, you know, as a kid, it's, you're not that kind of, your taste is not that developed yet. So I was kind of, I was listening to both Satie and, I don't know, the Brahms intermenti and it just both seemed equally beautiful then. Mm-hmm. Could have, I'd say something different now, but <laughs> yeah, so, you know.
0: That's an interesting position. I mean, I, I don't know, like value judgments on... um I I take it that Satie is more the direction that you're interested in now. Um, no, actually, no.
1: Yeah, well, no, no, actually, no. I think I think the, the Brahms, or yeah, I mean, I, this is not a this is not a, a solid comparison at all. Let's not, offend, all. But, let's not mean, offend those Satie no, fans no, out there. No, not at all. No, it's just mm. that um, I guess in terms of depth, uh, your, your taste just grows mm-hmm. over the years, and so anyway, um, this classical. Um, drive or interest has always been there and then uh i uh, um what 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 really what the biggest takeaway from that all in my childhood was mostly just the overarching uh, storytelling and uh and kind of the forming the the, the really uh yeah the forming of ideas consoling of ide- uh, consolidating of ideas and um I always kind of had that in the back of my mind. This, this kind of long arches, you know, mm-hmm. that classical music tend, tend to usually have. Yeah. So um, I, 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 especially in the more dry jazz, I, I, I sometimes feel like it lacks
0: that slightly sometimes, mm-hmm. or could have more of. Yeah. So that's that's. Yeah, yeah. I suppose the idea of a, of a long form, like an hour long thing is is obviously not so common in jazz. I mean maybe it is more nowadays than it was, but yeah. like the the idea of like a three minute piece that has also subdivided into like thirty second solos and then subdivided into like mm. sixteen bar phrases or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um I suppose <clears throat> yeah you, you can think wider than that. i um I'm always interested in people that collaborate with classical musicians, like actual classical musicians mm-hmm. rather than just cuz it's quite common for like jazz musicians to be inspired by classical music and mm-hmm. then to just play amongst themselves the their interpretation of what classical music is. Exactly. But in your case you actually brought in classical musicians to the yeah. to the project. I, I did, yeah I did. Um, what what is that like like how do you especially in terms of i'm always interested in how communication goes between people that don't necessarily speak the exact same like language in a sense um yeah. how yeah what has that been like oh man that's that's a that's
1: a different tale it's uh classical musicians look at music differently than jazz musicians that's a given of course, but mm-hmm. just in general um everything's different man like <laughs> holy shit it's uh there, for instance, they're they're just like the biggest thing that automatically strikes you when you start playing with the classical musician is their sense of where the one is. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the One is a completely variable thing. It's yeah. kind of like the one is interpreted solely based on whatever the melodic movement is. Mm. So it really can be like one, two, three, four, one, and then it's like no, but yes, yeah. but no. <laughs> it's like it's really weird, you know.
0: Yeah, because we spend all our lives working until the metronome is like completely ingrained in our heads, exactly. and then you know yeah.
1: make it as gritty as possible. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, yeah. So that's quite weird. So you have to be super strict on uh, on dictating the time. Well, yeah. uh, f- first of all, and mm-hmm. secondly, also um, usually with classical musicians they tend to have more. They tend to trust the sheet usually, not not exclusively, not always, but some usually. They tend to use the trust the sheet more than their ears. I say that very generalizing, I, and I don't mean I don't mean yeah. uh, there's no negative undertone to it. Mm-hmm. I can't read for shit, so I should maybe trust the sheet a little bit more. Yeah, but um, uh, but but whenever when they uh, register a theme coming in a bar earlier or two bars earlier then they will still usually often play the notes as written two yeah. bars later because mm-hmm. that's what the sheet says. Okay. It must be the composer's intent.
0: Yeah. right. Okay. But is that like, um, is it that you then have to adapt to them? Or have you guys, because you guys have been working together for a couple of years mm. now, yeah. um, surely you've developed an understanding now that they are also like... Somewhat shifting towards you, I can imagine that, for example, that timing issue is something that you kind of have to meet in the middle somewhere, or yeah. like, is it is there a part of part of the process is basically to find that
1: common ground? Yeah, definitely.
0: Uh, we like me, Julian, and Yerun Yerun and me. Yeah. The piano trio
1: p- part of the band, mm-hmm. we really were, uh, we really went towards them. Uh, I, f- I feel like that a lot, like. Mm-hmm. We always we also kind of like land on the one somewhere or kind of reinterpret time yeah i, I we really try to blend it well and um this, the yeah and the string players also they 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 really you know they are much more rigid now mm. so it's it's funny we really
0: we really feel in towards each other's uh, universe yeah. but you do you feel like that's an enriching thing or is it something that feels like a compromise because I feel like the idea of like reinterpreting where the one is gonna be is actually quite a like exciting and 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 different approach um, is that something that you struggled with or is it something that you just immediately embrace I immediately embrace it I completely agree with you too it's like yeah. super awesome to just to
1: play a phrase and then kind of I don't know, you just just hear like, oh, it's going to land somewhere there. And then that somewhere is kind of, it's going to be super in the moment. It's going to be decided Mm -hmm. in the moment. And then it's really nice to to see if everybody kind of blends into it instead of everybody's just following their internal time, you
0: know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like, you know, when, like, where you say that, Classical musicians trust the sheet too much. I feel like a lot of jazz musicians are trusting the like idea of metronomic time too much, to the point of like, yeah. hey, maybe you should just open your ears and figure out that everybody else around you has just shifted where the one is, you know? Um, yeah, man. Yeah, I I agree. And that's yeah, I I think that's more and more common. Maybe that people are exploring those kinds of ideas, but it, yeah, it's a fun it's a fun thing. I think. Um, do you want to maybe talk a bit specifically about the the musicians that join you on in the project, like each um, yeah, yeah, introduce them, to them you've mentioned their names real quick, but yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. I'd love to So on violin, we have Tessel Herzbach and she's a uh, classical violinist who, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, who's been playing with well, all the bigger orchestras and all the smaller orchestras, but also did a lot of crossover stuff. Mm-hmm. She's been playing with uh, she has played with snarky Poppy. Which was okay. a really nice uh, project that she, did, that she did. She's been playing with the North Pole Orchestra. It's kind of like the Metropolitan Orchestra. Oh yeah, North. yeah.
0: I think you know them. right? I, I, yeah, I did a thing where they. Yeah, we, we did a, a thing with like a week long residency with Dave Douglas and um, and Reina Bass, and they were like, yeah, basically like everybody wrote some music for them and yeah, uh, yeah. It. I um, think that's what played them there too. Yeah. yeah. Could that be? Quite possible. I, I mean, I didn't exactly yeah. think <laughs> yeah, each course. musician individually, yeah. but yeah. yeah right. um, you just think string section. <laughs> yeah, it's a mass of like people and and bows and stuff. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, she's
1: great, and she the the fun thing about her is also that she knows how to. Uh, she she has been working with pop, pop and jazz musicians uh, mm. a lot, so she she kind of knows the drill. Yeah. Also, socially, you know. <laughs> that's yeah. important you know it's like she, she because classical musicians tend to have also a different let's let's say a different drinking culture let's call it that and then, <laughs> and then you know so yeah uh then on viola we have Jana Pelser mm-hmm. which is uh she is also a classical viola, violist but uh she has always been very much in touch with lighter music and also she does a lot of improvisation mm-hmm. she's been studying in berlin a uh like she she just finished her masters in Berlin on mm. the connection between the mu- the instrument and the body, grossly general generalizing. Yeah, she's very much in touch with kind of the she's very much in touch with her ear, so she's actually quite the opposite of most classical musicians. Mm-hmm. Then on cello we have Ben Hussar, mm-hmm. who is an incredible cellist, and he studied with uh, Jorg Brinkmann also. Yeah. Uh, so he also, he's he very much, he knows a lot of, he plays with Namibian tales with uh, Shishani, maybe you know this yep. project, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Sold out Bim House yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, so he also has some experience with lighter bands. And then on piano, we have Julian Sneiman, who is a jazz piano player who gr- grew up in a family of classical musicians. Yeah. So, you know, he, and he does a lot of world music too. It, it's incredible, he's, he's doing so many things. And then Jeroen Badrink, he is you know the master of all. <laughs> I don't <laughs> on know if drums. you've ever played yeah, yeah, He's a drummer. I don't know if you've ever played with him, but he's yeah, 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 I've had a absolute killer drummer, and he uh, he knows everything. That he, yeah, he just he plays with so many diverse groups. He plays with the Netherlands Blazers Ensemble. Maybe you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He plays with Caravan of Julian and He plays with Vuma, who was mm-hmm. from your previous
0: guest. Yeah, you know, so he does everything too. So mm-hmm. whole array of people, <laughs> and so yeah. Um, Maybe we can like talk about that that idea of because it, it seems like you do have string players that are somewhat acquainted to like like you say lighter music improv whatever um how much of the I take it that you write all the music like yeah, is there and this is that horrible question which is like how much of it is written versus improvised, but like is there, <laughs> is there any point where you like ask of those string players to like improvise and if so, how? I suppose are they just serving as a trio of like accompanists that, like, in theory, in the studio, could just record separately from you and it would work out? Or is there like, what is the connection there? Um, good
1: question. On this new project, Mohammed, I've wrote, I've written two solos for the viola and the cello mm-hmm. because they both you know tend to be able to improvise and yeah. i want to see what that looks like mm-hmm. uh, and i write notes uh, with with them individually in mind mm-hmm. so uh, the parts i write i, I have been written uh, mostly in mind with uh, the Jana and bensa yeah however if you're if you if you say like in theory could they record you know separately is it kind of like they're you know people playing the notes i mean no but also, yes, a lot of the notes that they play, or almost all of the notes that they play, are set in stone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess it's unfair to say that they that that their parts are, are interchangeable, or that that uh, that their character and individuality is not needed because they that that absolutely is
0: true. Yeah, of course, and I mean for all like classical music that's the case right it's not like you like everybody interprets the music in a different way so thank you yes um, exactly yes exactly and i think that's that's kind of a a danger of jazz musicians that like misinterpreting and misunderstanding what like yeah the interpretation of classical repertoire actually involves exactly
1: because it's not it's not about you playing the notes it's about you playing that note. yeah so yeah, yeah so i mean um, I went to uh, Arkady Volodos uh, three weeks ago. This amazing Russian piano player, classical mm-hmm. piano player, and um, you know he he, he played uh, Schubert and he played uh, Bagram's uh, encore, and, and I know I knew some of the pieces he played and I, quite well actually, and and he, but it just sounded like he improvised it on the spot. It sounded mm-hmm. like it was it was his music, and it all came kind of it came from above. Mm-hmm. It was all so spontaneous and so in the moment and so effortless and masterful but then I mean the music is two centuries old. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. That kind of transcendence seriously. I mean that's that's what you're you're aiming for.
0: Yeah, and I mean it takes something really quite special to like um be, like you say be able to bring like a two century old music into the now yeah. um in such a way. Um the so there is um Kind of moving on from this, there's a word that um, I've seen used to describe your music, and I don't know if it's a self description or or what. But you like, I read somewhere the idea of cinematic music. Um, What exactly do you mean by that? Like, I mean, as far as I can tell, your previous record, Fly, has like a long bow arc of narrative, and and so does this new project mohammed which i i'd like to speak about in detail a bit in a, in a moment but like in a more general sense what is it about like your music and project that you would call cinematic good question well um
1: I guess the reason that we use that term uh, quite often is, is uh, because the audience usually comes up to us afterwards and says like, "Oh, things like yeah, I saw so many images listening mm-hmm. to your music. It's kind of like a, a picture painted itself in my head." Mm-hmm. Um, that's the cinematic aspect of it. It's it's not as if it's it's not uh, supporting a movie or anything. Or yeah. We don't do video, but uh, it's uh, it's just it's just that it's it's kind of. Um, yeah, yeah, imaginative in in the sense that it just brings up pictures in your head. Also, it's a very nice word to use to to, to kind of accurately describe uh what you what you could feel during mm-hmm. a concert.
0: Yeah, and there is something like kind of almost film score like to some of the I, I guess like, yeah. um some of the textures I suppose. Yeah, it's very textural also, yeah. Um yeah. And so what like what is it about the idea of storytelling through music that appeals to you so much because i mean the so the previous first of all the i mean the band is called ikari which i i take it is after icarus yes it is um, which it's quite funny because i had yours Hulofs on the show um a oh, couple yeah. of weeks ago and he was talking about his new record which is called icarus oh, yeah still so to listen to it it's yeah it's obviously a myth that comes back again and again um what? Yeah. So, what is it about like the idea of telling a story through music that appeals to you? And also, how do you even approach that, like from a compositional standpoint?
1: Well, what what I really like about it is that if you have a long story arch to cover, then uh, it's it's much. To me, it's much easier to just uh, to to, to uh, really grab the audience and and make the audience stay with your music. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, that that's a big thing, and. Um, and also, um, a nar- having a narrative, just f- for me, having a narrative is, is like the, the perfect way to, 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 to attach different ideas to the same kind of story. So, if I have a narrative like Icarus, for instance, which actually the music of Fly was written by Julian Schneemann and me mm-hmm. uh, almost equally, um, it's, it's, if you have that storyline, then, then it's also much easier for me to visualize or, to, to, or make audible what I hear. In that story, and then it just all makes it into one coherent story, so yeah, so yeah it's just it's just a really nice working with the narrative because it just makes it a lot easier, yeah, and also i i i feel like it you 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 convey it to your audience more easily,
0: but so does that mean like there's a certain amount of pre pre planning involved in like do you like literally graph it out? I mean, I don't know, I guess some composers do this like literally like okay, well, um. First of all, do you work in terms of like movements and stuff? Yeah, and I like um, so it's it's like okay, these are this is story structure. I guess also dealing with um, I don't know. I spoke with the uh, with Kishan Kanchan about this quite a lot. Um, the idea of like the story circle and all of that stuff, where like you have clear point, like the hero's journey, that kind of yeah. a, approach, um, and then I suppose you can also go into the golden number and all these kinds of things, yes, like where yeah, like yeah. how. Um, so yeah, uh, roundabout way to say like, uh, do you like lay out a plan and a structure in that sense beforehand? Short answer: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: for Muhammad, I used a minute-to-minute uh, okay. graph that yeah. I that I spent like first two weeks. I I, I actually wrote it down in text, uh, and also just kind of as accurately as I could make it de- depict whatever kind of melodic movement, harmonic movement, textures, uh, rhythms I would use, mm-hmm. instrumentation, sort of that that sort of stuff. So anything to give myself more. Uh, more of a, uh, a, a hold on the entire thing. Mm. Um, on the on the uh, on the storytelling thing with fly uh, with Icarus, a previous album was called Fly, and it's a tale of Icarus and sound. Yeah. And uh, of course, this is the myth of the boy who flew, who kind of flew flat from Greece um, and yeah. and he died. You know, you know the tale. Yeah. So um, and this tale. It has so much in it, but it's also uh, a tale where you kind of have this golden arch, which you just Mm -hmm. named, and and we wanted to kind of give it a twist by saying that there's something really beautiful about his fate. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, we we kind of, yeah, we think about that all. We think about the whole thing.
0: Yeah. Um, I guess we should talk very specifically about the Muhammad because Obviously I've I've heard the I've heard fly um but I haven't actually had a chance to um see or hear any of the Muhammad project but um maybe you can talk about that in general. I mean I have to admit that I know absolutely nothing about boxing. Um so maybe that's also helpful to start <laughs> from um but as far as I can tell it's it's like a music it's like the rumble in the jungle uh like Set to music to a certain extent is that yeah okay yeah, yeah. kind of yeah 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 that's that's a <laughs> awesome
1: man yeah absolutely
0: yeah um,
1: yeah please interrupt me if you if you need to but, but uh, <laughs> uh, I uh, with Muhammad Muhammad is the legend of the boxer Muhammad Ali told mm. in sound and it's and this is done on a musical telling of, of the Rumble in the Jungle. This yeah. 1973 World Heavyweight Championship fight in Kinshasa in Zaire, which is yeah. now Congo, mm-hmm. uh, uh, in Africa, and he was fighting George Foreman. Yeah. This fight was iconic and legendary and all that stuff. It's, it's a beautiful fight. It's It actually has a really nice twist to it, too. Like, like From a sports angle, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening, but mm-hmm. also from a cultural angle, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening because um, well, th- there's a little bit more to be told about this fight than just the fight
0: itself. Yeah, of course. I mean there's all these social like uh, repercussions and all of the like Right. Yeah. yeah.
1: But also the fact that, that that you know, his charisma he was shouting in the months before he was doing the fight, he was actually shouting like I'm gonna win, I'm gonna win. Yeah. But his odds were I think twelve to one. Yeah. And he won. Mm-hmm. Just and I think that also a big reason why he won is because he said he was going to win. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great takeaway. So uh, uh, Muhammad itself is uh, is all the eight rounds are are set to music, all the eight boxing rounds, it's an eight round fight, but mm-hmm. then interwoven with that are also s- and the, the cultural social struggles that Muhammad had back yeah. in the United States. Mm-hmm. He converted to Islam, yeah. which had huge repercussions. He denied his military, mandatory military service yeah. to Vietnam, which had huge repercussions. Mm-hmm. The, he actually had to quit from boxing for four years. Uh, his his case actually went up all the way up to the high court, where he won. Mm-hmm. And then he could fight again. You know all this kind of stuff. Yeah, he was involved with Malcolm X for a little while. Yeah. So we're trying to put all of that into our narrative, and then make you feel and believe and, and experience his fight mm. and everything that's going with that fight.
0: Yeah. But so uh, I mean it. I think this is again maybe an obvious uh, thing to point to, but like the first thing that came to mind when I found out that this this was a project that you guys were doing was the um, the fact that there is precedent in Miles Miles Davis having Mm -hmm. um, some own obsession with boxing, and then obviously making the record Jack Johnson, which was like um, it was a film score I think originally, right? Like it's like for a documentary or something, but uh, like the um he obviously spoke quite eloquently about the similarities that he saw between like jazz music and a jazz musician and boxing um, is that is that something that you um you were specifically aware of as well and is it something that you can relate to like i'm i suppose i'm interested in the i i feel like in Miles's case, there's a very kind of one-on-one relationship that you can draw between, like the, um, a no pun intended, but the punchiness of his playing and oh, the, that's kind a great joke, <laughs> the
1: kind
0: of the kind of the idea of boxing and the idea of like whatever it is, like you know, dance like a butterfly, whatever, all that kind of stuff. Um, is is that is that something that makes sense to you, like in the way you guys perform? Because it, it seems like that, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I haven't heard the music, so it's very hard for me to to, to talk about this. But um, how much of a, yeah, I have, is that something that you relate to? Yes, absolutely.
1: Um, Miles absolutely had a point. And this comparison that he drew between boxing and jazz, I, I, especially after I've written all the music and we did our first concerts, and, and I feel it now too. In the mm-hmm. beginning, I was a little bit skeptical, I have to say, mm-hmm. because... It seems kind of like a very popular thing to say, like, ah, oh, jazz is like boxing. You know, it's like my teachers back in school, they, some, some of them also said it like, you know, yeah. and you always, you always get this kind of like, yeah, yeah, blah, blah kind of feeling mm-hmm. to it. But there is a truth to it because improvisation, it, it, boxing is improvisation yeah. because it's reacting to whatever your opponent is doing and also making sure that your move is a first step. So that he needs to react to it, and then ultimately winning. Mm-hmm. And improvisation in jazz is a very similar thing. I think it comes from the same place within the brain. Um, so yeah, I think Miles had a point. <clears throat> Absolutely,
0: yeah. Um, so I'm I'm interested in what the actual stage show looks like. Like as far as I can tell, there is actually like a, a proper theatrical setup to this thing yeah. and everything. Like, can you maybe talk about that? Describe it a bit. Yeah, uh, we actually build the stage into a boxing ring. Yeah. So uh, we
1: actually didn't know anything about steel, but now I know a lot about steel. So I, actually, yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay. I, I work, Yeah, so I actually manufactured myself out of steel a boxing ring mm-hmm. with ropes and everything. And uh, uh, we're playing September fourteenth in the Bim House. Okay, please do come. And uh, and we and then we we have the Bim House built into a boxing ring and arena almost. <laughs> We hang a boxing uh, ball. Uh, we hang it up, and uh, we have some boxing gloves and huge, big American flag and all that kind of <laughs> stuff.
0: So yeah, it's a it's it's real deal, man. Some yeah. shebang. Okay, but so what? Like, what is the? Uh, I mean, besides the maybe slightly gimmicky nature of that kind of thing, what <laughs> is the added value of like a building a boxing like? Do you? Um, I don't, I mean, obviously, like my work with Tin Man involves a lot of theatricality and a lot of that kind yeah. of stuff, and so I I, I, I understand the idea of. Trying to like basically like transform this actual idea of what a concert setting is. Like, is that something that makes sense to you? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, to be completely honest with you, it is a mixture of of that argument, definitely. Like the argument that it makes it more experiential, Mm -hmm. which is a big plus. And also, you know, we hope that it kind of adds to the narrative. I think it really does. We did a tryout concert three weeks ago, and people were super enthusiastic about it. Especially because, like, the stage looked like an arena. Mm. But then again, it also it, it also just looks it looks really nice, and you know, it mm. looks kind of matter now. So yeah. So and as far as this comparison that you drew a little bit to Tin Man, I in no way want to compare Ikirai to Tin Man because I think Tin Man is of incredible quality. Uh, but, you, mean you um, don't need to f-
0: flatter
1: us, but like, no it's, really <laughs> man like I've seen a couple of gigs of you, and holy cow, but um like big inspiration to me uh, but oh, this uh, this theatrical aspect and also the kind of uh, multimedial kind of thing you know mm-hmm. the blending of of reality and music and all that kind of stuff we also work with samples and i actually we actually also try to do the Tin man kind of thing where we kind of Actually, interact with the samples a little but, bit, not in any way on your level, but you know, <laughs> we, we, it's a cute attempt.
0: But so, well, I'm I'm sure it's more than that. But um, what is like, what are the performance opportunities for a project like this? Like, is it partly also that you're trying to break out of the circuit? I mean, you say you're going to perform in Bim House, which mm. um, obviously for all jazz musicians that is kind of the temple of and uh, like and the place to perform. But oh, yeah. is it is it fair to say that probably this project deserves a life in different kinds of venues and if so like how are you are you trying to approach that i mean it seems like the kind of thing that maybe a november music would like be interested in or yeah. like these kinds of we actually more... play in november music okay yeah, yeah. true yeah true we, we, the,
1: the the crossover thing about it and also the theatrical thing about it, that, that's, that's really what we're trying to, to, to go for. So we're not only hitting the jazz venues, we're also playing a lot of classical shows and venues and some festivals. And next season we, we want to, yeah, I want to go more to the, let say, outer regions of, of what like normal concert yeah. places are. It mm-hmm. would be great also to do a, this concert in a parking garage sometime. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's stuff like that, like the raw
0: kind of cliche, almost cliche kind of thing. Yeah. And presumably also in an actual like boxing venue, oh, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah that would be yeah. cool. That would be great. Um and so yeah, is there um is there plans for like I, I imagine there will be plans for recording this and stuff. Like yeah. is, it, is it, like what is in the books as far as that's concerned?
1: We're gonna record this. Yeah. Uh, I'm still kind of in the works about the dates and the recording and also financially, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's there's still a lot of things that are not set in stone, but the one thing that is set in stone is that this will become an album. Yeah, it won't be the whole show. The whole show is 75 minutes, and it will probably be around 40 to 45. Mm-hmm. But uh, you, this will be online, and uh, it, I, I, I actually uh, dear, um, I really want to press it on vinyl. Yeah, like, okay. Yeah.
0: But is it like? Do you think that there's something that is lost from the visual aspect, like? Then, yeah,
1: yeah, I think so. But then again, um, I think yes, I think so. But I, th- I think that's also really you really need that uh, a concert should automatically be more than just listening to an album at ho- mm. album at home. Mm. So I really don't mind if an album lacks in experience, yeah,
0: because you you just need to make up for it by just coming to the concert. That's an interesting point. I don't think I've ever heard anybody make that point quite that. Like succinctly, it's like the idea that you need to encourage the live experience being and and like having that added value yeah,
1: exactly. I think a um, CD
0: and or a vinyl or whatever you do is is automatically
1: just an extension
0: of your concert and not the other way around, yeah no fair enough um. Is there anything? I mean, you know, we've we've spoken a lot about IKEA. Is there anything that you're up to as a sideman or any other projects that are coming up? Things that you want to talk about?
1: I got some exciting stuff lined up. I'm uh, I'm actually forming a new. I'm in or I'm I'm at the very early beginning of forming a new group together with uh, guitar player Iran Har mm-hmm. uh piano player Franz von Chossi. oh yeah, and uh, and Jeroen, of course, my okay. forever, always there yeah. uh, drummer this is going to be a very cool project playing music of both Iran and France.
0: So, uh, I mean, this is all very early in the works, but, but uh, yeah, we're pushing. Wasn't France, I mean, I don't know, the last I heard from Francis he was going to be moving to China. Is that not going to be a bit of a uh, spanner? <laughs> <in everyone else? laughs> yeah, that's true. He's going, to be, he's going to, yeah, he's going to, at least for
1: one year, uh, he's yeah. going to go to China and he's going to be back and forthing. Yeah, of course, of, course. I mean, of course. he's doing stuff with his trio. Yes, yeah, yeah, of course. Nice. Exactly. So we're trying to make a work in between. So that's also why I said like it's it's early in the works. Yeah. yeah. Um, and besides that, I'm just doing a lot of freelance gigs just around town, and playing yeah. in a lot of trios. And um, yeah, uh, that's to be honest, uh, uh, Ikari is
0: really my main driver. Like yeah. I, I really focus on that a lot. No, that makes sense. And obviously, being you know being a band leader and also of such a like ambitious project, it makes sense that you would need that focus and time and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah Camille as as we get reach the end of this conversation I always like to ask my guests yeah. if there's something that they want to recommend that the audience check out it can be absolutely anything it could be music, it doesn't have to be um, I don't know if anything springs to mind that you find particularly inspiring lately or in general um
1: yeah, uh, I, I, I'm in doubt whether I should mention a record or a book. <laughs> well, you could, both is also completely fine. <laughs> okay. Well, last year when I was I was teaching in India for one semester in the in the summer of last year, mm. and I read the book Congo by uh, David Van Rijboek, okay. which is about Congo. It's yeah. a, it's a, the complete history of the country, the Democratic Republic of Congo. Yeah, which also happened to be called Zaire for a little while. Yeah. and which is where the fight of Muhammad was held. Yeah, this uh, this book blew my mind it's okay. the best book I've read in like years so hmm. read that book that's yeah. it basically
0: okay Yeah. cool uh, Camille thanks so much um, cool man is there anything thanks so much for having me on is there anything that you want to mention any dates any things that are coming yeah out? September, 14th, um, September 14th September yeah, okay. 14th September 14th for those BMS. that are in or around Amsterdam or planning to be in or around Amsterdam yeah. in September um, cool Camille thanks so much thanks so much for having me man That was Camille Janssen. You'll find links to his website in the show notes at soundofthemoment.com and if you follow those links you will uh, find his tour dates and you'll also be able to purchase his music. I'd like to thank Christian and Chris, my fellow members of KTO, for providing the intro and outro music. The show has a Patreon page that you could go and donate at that is at patreon.com slash moment, and you can make a monthly donation if you This show brings any value to you. And that helps me to cover the costs that I have every month to run it and keep it online. I am Pat Cleaver on Twitter at Pat Cleaver, and there is a Sound the Moment page on Facebook that you could like. And if you would like to email me directly, you can do that at pat at soundthemoment.com. Please subscribe to the show, tell a friend, and leave a favorable review or rating uh, wherever it is that you like to listen. The iTunes Store is uh, probably the most obvious one of those places. To end the show today, I will play you more music from Camille Janssen and Ikerai. This is from their album Fly, and it's entitled Fernweh. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Sound of the Moment.